Welcome to Morning Commute. I'm Brad Doles. And I am Sam Albert. You know, Brad and I have been friends for many years. Uh, that's true. Probably, I don't know, five or more. And we've built this friendship on making conversations that we talk about basically anything we can think about. It's like no topic is off the table. And so we wanted to open that up and share that kind of talk with other people. Yeah. So we devised this podcast. It's a 20 to 30 minute podcast in which we just kind of freeform talk about the things that we talk about all the time. We hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Morning Commute. Hi, Sam. Hi, Brad. The next topic that we have on our list, oh, for everybody else in the world, I don't remember if we've said this or not, but we kind of keep a list of things that we might want to bring up on the podcast. And the next thing on this list, I'm not even sure how to pronounce them, Gloria Vale and Bruderhof, is that correct? That's perfect. All right. Uh, I didn't put them on the list. You did. So you want to enlighten us as to what they mean? Yes. I've been itching to talk about this with you. All right. On Amazon Prime, I found a three-episode series called Gloria Vale, highlighting a Christian community in a remote area of New Zealand. It's been around for a number of years, I think since the 90s. Some might call it a cult. Others might call it a commune. Everybody lives and works together. Nobody has a bank account. All the money raised from their businesses, which are community-based businesses, goes into kind of a general pot, and everyone's taken care of out of that. Uh, everybody wears the same clothes. There's sort of a uniform. Women wear these long blue dresses. They don't cut their hair. They wear a head covering. Men wear the same blue slacks and light blue button-down shirt, and they live in these hostels. I was going to say a dorm. That's exactly what it's like. So nobody gets their own home. Now, if you have larger families, because they follow the Bible, so they believe that it's important to have lots of kids, then sometimes they can have other rooms if they have 10, 12 kids, which many of them do. Here's what's so interesting about it. When I was watching this three-episode series, which had been played on television in New Zealand, it made the community look idyllic. Elders, there's a group of elders. They make all the major decisions. When a young man comes of age, and by that I mean 17, 18, 19, and feels like he's ready to marry, he goes to the elders and says, I'm ready to marry. They give him a list of several women that aren't within his bloodline, you know, because they all intermingle. So they want to make sure that it's just from a genetic standpoint safe. And he gets to choose between, let's say, five different women. And then he proposes. And a lot of times they don't- Does he really swipe know. left or right? Or how does that work? <laughs> which reminds me the internet is there, mm -hmm. but it's there highly, are filtered. highly filtered. Yes. And not everybody has access to it. It just depends on what your job within the community is. But yeah, you go and you, you court these women first you choose just by, I think, observing them from afar. And then you choose the one that's going to be your wife. Then you court her. I find your ankles highly enticing. Exactly. Okay, so the reason I bring this up is because it seemed so idyllic, and I literally was watching it thinking, I want to live there. And then I started doing some Nancy Drew work, and apparently the gentleman who started it was in prison for some sexual crime, being with an underage woman or something, and that there's a long history of abuse and sexual assault uh, and, you know, if you want to leave the community, you are shunned and separated from your family. So there's this horrible behind the scenes backstory. And 
I was concerned that I bought into it initially. Yeah, I'm concerned too. Okay, let me back up. I imagined myself watching that show and being absolutely sickened by it. Yes. And Sam watches the identical show and is, thinks, this is an ideal situation. Boy, let me in. Let me just say this. As I was watching it, it did not go unnoticed to me that you would find this sickening. Uh-huh. <laughs> there were plenty of moments where I was like, Brad would be throwing up in the back of his mouth right now or screaming at the television screen. You've witnessed that before. I have. So the Christian aspect of it as a fledgling atheist such as myself did not appeal to me. They, they definitely believed that the end of the world was coming. They believed in the rapture. They were just kind of biding their time until Jesus comes back. And so there were a couple of people there who, when they were interviewed, were saying, well, we don't look too far ahead because we think within a year or two, you know, we'll be in, in paradise with our savior. And right. so that part, part of it didn't speak to me. What did speak to me was the kind of self-contained community where everybody had a very clear job and responsibility and you sort of made the choice that you were going to be happy. This woman said, I, make, I made the choice to love my husband. I didn't know him before I married him, but I made the choice I'm going to love him. Mm-hmm. And I think it was the simplicity of having what you do, when you do it, who you marry, what you wear, what job you have. That it was all done for you that really appealed to me. Okay, if I'm going to pare it down, it's the lack of freedom, therefore the lack of responsibility to make decisions that seemed delicious. Yeah. And they yeah, were talking. That's what I was going to say. In keeping with you know, as we age, and we've talked about this, is probably good for another podcast. Just the fear of aging as a single person. Uh huh. Um, that's been on my mind a lot lately as I hurdle toward 50. And one of the things they said that really got me was they were talking to some people who were, you know, in their 80s. And they said, it's so nice to know that I'm aging in a community where I'm not alone and I'll be taken care of and everything is in place to age safely. And, and they didn't turn their back on medical care. They tried to do as much as they could within the community. But if there was a health problem, they went to the hospital. So they, it's a little bit different than some of those super cloistered communities where you won't, they won't even go to the doctor. They right. used things like the internet and local medicine. But yeah, you would, have, you would have been disgusted. Oh, and here's the big thing. This one really got me. When kids get married, they have their wedding ceremony. And then before the reception, they have to go off and consummate the marriage. Mm-hmm. So they get married. Then they immediately go to their dorm room, have sex. Then they come back and have their wedding reception. I kind of like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one thing you do like, huh? No, I mean, I think I was going to say before, boy, there's so many things. I'm going to forget half of the things I want to say. Just because you disagree with the community doesn't mean that they don't do good things, right? And I'm not saying that thing. That's just a, that's just a joke, basically. But I would imagine they treat their elderly people way better than we do. Right. One of the investments that you make being in that community is, all right, if I do this, then at least I don't have to suffer as I get older. And I think many people in our communities do. And that's a bad thing. When you say, if I watched this, I would be disgusted. Among the things that disgust me is how much you buy into it. Mm-hmm. And it really, it concerns me whenever stuff like this happens. Here, here's one of the things that pops into my head. And we've borrowed it before 
how much we vehemently disagree on this particular subject. Okay. It feels to me like, I'm curious how you'll see this. It feels to me one of the reasons that it appeals to you so much is because it would give your life a sense of meaning. Somebody else is deciding what you do and therefore you have meaning because somebody else is deciding for you. Yes. And it's not lost on me that I could take my life as it is right now and apply the same principles, which is to say I could decide I am choosing to be happy in my present circumstances. I'm choosing to work as hard as I possibly can at all my jobs and to be filled up. I mean, I could be living like that now, but there's something about- You need it imposed on you. I need it imposed on me and I need a uniform. (laughs) Yeah. There is something about you that a cult-like devotion really appeals to you that's a little scary to me. I am ripe for a cult. I mean, usually I have a long monologue to go on after that, but I think that's all I have. It's just, that scares me. It's not lost on me that I am ripe for a cult. Yeah. I have watched and read a ton of books about cults, and every time I think that could be me in a heartbeat. The only thing that stops me is that I require a lot of alone time and you don't really get that in a cult. (laughs) Do you think that the reason that you like a cult, I'm nailing it on the head or is there more to it than that? Why do cults appeal to you so much? Let me say this. I recognize that many people have had horribly negative experiences in cults and that they tend to be extremely harmful. Can we say most, if not all? Yes. People minus the leader? I think what appeals to me is, okay, this is a long way around. There's a book by Sylvia Plath called The Bell Jar. Uh And it follows this young woman in the, I think it's the 1950s, as she kind of comes of age in her 20s. And she's working at a fashion magazine as an intern. And she's kind of at the cusp of what she's going to do with the rest of her life. And she's looking around and there's this great passage where the main character is saying, She has so many choices, and this is such a first world problem, just so you know, but she describes it to sitting in the center of a fig tree, right? And she's looking around at all the figs on the tree, and each fig represents a a potential path for her life, Mm -hmm. getting married, having children, being a writer, um, working for a magazine, going into PR, and she's so paralyzed by all these choices that she doesn't make any. And in the meantime, while she's contemplating all these choices, the figs are falling off the tree because they're overripe and now they're no good. Her lack of ability to make a decision is a decision in and of itself to do nothing. And there's something about just picking one thing and having blind devotion to that one thing that mutes out all the other opportunities that are out there. And so there's something about that blind devotion that I think, oh, I crave that single-minded focus. And maybe it comes from the fact that I tried to be an actress for all those years. And that was my cult. That was my single-minded focus. Now I don't have that anymore. And so everything feels a little muddy. They did a scientific study where if you're given two choices and you choose from them, you're much more likely to be satisfied with your choice than if you're given a hundred and you have to choose from those because your brain runs through this calculation of, am I making the right choice? You know, if I'm picking one out of a hundred, the likelihood that I picked the best one out of 99 others is unlikely, right? But Mm -hmm. if I'm choosing one out of two, then 
the likelihood that I made the right choice is higher. And people are much more satisfied with their choices. We have an instinct as a culture that more choices is better, but psychologically, more choices are more harmful to us because we punish ourselves thinking that we must have made the wrong choice. The other study is, they did this one with photographs, I wanna say. Someone was taking a bunch of photographs. One person is given a photograph and said that you can choose this photograph. And once you choose that, we're not gonna give you the choice of any of these other ones. We're going to just take this pile of other photographs that you took and burn them. That's it, you only get that one. And the other group of people is given a choice of photographs, but at any point in time, they can swap it out for a different one that they took. Again, our instinct is, well, that's better to have the choice. But the people who make the choice and all the other ones are destroyed are more satisfied with their choice because psychologically they have to be. Their brain justifies it for them and says, all right, no, no, no. I'm, I'm positive this was the best one. But if you're given the choice to go back and choose again, you go like, eh, you know, but some of those other ones were nice too. I, I think those both kind of envelop this situation. You want your decisions to be reduced to almost the point of no decision. And I understand that that's such a first world problem to be like, I'm paralyzed by all these choices. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Because I'm thinking about this documentary I saw about happiness. I think you've seen it too, where they were trying to figure out who are the happiest people in the world and what constitutes happiness. And I, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, they had come to the conclusion that one of the happiest people they could find was a rickshaw driver in India who made a dollar a day. Because right. what he needed to be happy and what constituted success and fulfillment was attainable. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I do definitely struggle with that. And there's something about hawking my world down to tiny chewable pieces, which is what happens in a cult. You're, the macrocosm becomes a microcosm. The world becomes so much smaller. That is really appealing to me. I want to feel like what some of the dirty underbelly of this is too, though. When, when you say a man is courting a woman, and you might not be able to answer this honestly, just because the documentary, it sounds like they were showing it as much more idealistic than the community actually was. Mm -hmm. But if a woman is being courted by a man, what is her opportunity to say no? That was not directly addressed. Based on some of the Nancy Drew work I did afterwards, you, you don't have the right to say no. They don't even consult her. If a, if a guy goes to the elders and says, I want to be married, they say, okay, based on your bloodlines and based on sort of an age group, these are the four women you have to choose from. The women don't even know they're in the running. As soon as the guy shows up at their door with flowers, then they realize, oh, this guy's gonna be my husband. Case in point, they showcase this woman who was 22 and unmarried, and they married her off to a 17-year-old. Do you understand why that's so scary to me that you would be like, yeah, sign me up. And let me be clear, that is horrifying to me. That is terrifying to me because they follow the Bible and they believe the man is the head of the household and he is the leader and he makes all the decisions and, you know, the woman is there to multiply. Right. And that part I was like, well, clearly I could, I'd have to go as a spinster where they right. knew, no, we're not marrying this girl off and she's not having babies because there were definitely, it looked like there were people, at least when I did research after who were married off to people that they didn't 
A, no, B, love. And if they were unhappy and wanted to leave, they couldn't. I mean, if they left, that's it. They would well, be shunned. But also to use your words, you would also be a shame on the community to be the spinster. 45 and unmarried is, well, you're not doing God's will. You're not pumping out babies. Yes. They followed this one girl. Her name was Dove. Because they all have names like hopeful and purity and denial. Denial. (laughs) Indoctrinated. (laughs) Um, And her name was Dove. And she was one of the older ones to not be married. And she said, if it's God's will that I remain single my whole life, she worked in the kitchen because they ate communally. So that's, you know, 600, almost, I'd say probably 900 meals three times a day. And Mm -hmm. she's in the kitchen doing that. And so she said, if that, then I will be happy with whatever God's will is. Do you think coronavirus hit Gloria Vale? I know that coronavirus hit Gloria Vale. And oh, I, someone's been doing some research, huh? Listen, when I get on to something, actually the police had to step in. They weren't practicing social distancing. And actually New Zealand has done a really great job of sort of closing off and really attacking coronavirus with staying at home and social distancing, but Gloria Vale got in trouble because they weren't following that. And so the police had to go in and have a talk with the elders about really abiding by these rules. Because I'm sure if any community is thinking, well, God will protect us, it's Gloria Vale. You didn't hear anything of the coronavirus hitting that city. You know what? I don't know if anyone within the community has fallen ill. That's a good question. I'm assuming if one person did, the whole community would have it because they're so together all the time. Yeah, that's what I would guess too. In light of that, so Bruderhof is like Gloria Vale light. Mm-hmm. They're an Anabaptist community. Gloria Vale is only in New Zealand, but the Bruderhof is all over the world. They have these intentional communities based on Christianity where you all live together, you share a kitchen and you have your own little space. They intermarry and they have children and they all work for the good of the community within the community with shared finances. Mm -hmm. I couldn't find dirt on them. When I was trying to do my investigative journalism, I couldn't find any history of abuse or shunning. So it seems a little less rigid than Gloria Vale. I'm curious to know if you think an intentional community like that, minus the religious component, if you think that that is a workable model. Everything is risk versus benefit, right? Risk is probably the wrong word in that, but benefit versus downside, I guess. Mm -hmm. So with general information that you gave me, I'd say, yeah, you could make something like that work. Like I said, with Gloria Vale, they're obviously treating their elderly far better than we are. And maybe that's where I retire. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But if they have a similar structure, how much does lack of information make you happier? What I'm saying is most of us would say, I don't want to be forced into a loveless marriage. I want to have choice. But not being given the choice, a lot of them seem to be happier, right? Mm-hmm. So is a happy lie better than miserable truth? In the Bruderhof communities, you pick your husband and wife, that you have some say in who you choose. So it's a lot more lenient that way. It's much more kind of modern. Uh-huh. And then I wonder, and this is a whole other thing, with the arranged marriages like that at, at Gloria Vale, we've ta- we were talking about this in the previous episode, to what extent is love just a choice? 
-hmm. And if you know that you just are going to have to make that choice because you're not given the option to to pick a partner based on romantic love, in what sense can that offer you a more successful marriage? Well, I'm conscious of the fact that we're running out of time, but I've heard of communities in the far past, a lot of times a marriage is 100% not about romanticism. That's kind of a fairly modern concept. It's basically a business arrangement. Mm -hmm. It's more animalistic almost. We do this because surviving means having kids and raising them. And that is, that's meaning. But the love part of a relationship was almost a nice side benefit. Many cultures you can see in literature, especially for the male, it's just a given that he's going to have an affair on the side. Mm -hmm. And especially where females don't have as much power, they're just kind of like, yeah, you know, that's the way it is. I guess it's a long way of like happiness is a weird thing, right? And I think put in modern vision, it's hard to say who has it better. Yep. It's hard for me to even say that being very conscious between the two of us, I happen to be the one that would have a lot more power, but there seems to be a bit of joy and lack of choice. I was just going to say, I feel like the question of this episode is, does more freedom equal more happiness? And the answer is maybe not. Yeah. I think that's one of those ones that seems like it should be simple. And I think it's a lot more complicated than that. Well, yeah. And to what extent is it easy to make that assumption based on the fact that we have a lot of freedoms? Yeah. It is a very American ideal that freedom is what we want. It's obviously better than 100% in the other direction, right? Mm -hmm. Being free is better than being a slave. Where is the best place along that analog spectrum? We don't have, as a choice of mate, a choice of anybody in the entire world, just because we are, at the very least, restrained by our ability to see everybody in the entire world. I mean, technology might even allow it, but our brains can't process that many. Our lifespans won't indulge a way for me to interview every person on the entire planet. So to a certain extent, I'm already reduced in my amount of freedom, right? So I just accept that. There's probably a certain point at which you just accept what's doled to you. That's what I struggle with. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it might not be an easy answer. I would be curious to see what people would have to say about this if they had an opinion. What needs to be said that we didn't say? What aspect of this bizarre conversation are we missing? Why are we wrong? So if you had a comment on that, you could leave us a voicemail at anchor.fm forward slash morning commute Sam Brad, or you can leave us an email at morning commute Sam Brad at gmail.com. Thank you very much, Sam. Thank you so much. All right. Goodbye. goodbye.